Hello and welcome to the Leading Communities Podcast, brought to you by Aspire for You CIC, Ideal Directions Marketing and hosted by That's All Media CIC. This podcast has been put together to help community leaders learn from proven leaders from proven organisations. My name's Marianne Delaney and I'll be your host. On today's episode, we'll be discussing LGBTQI plus issues. And I'm joined by Kakan Qureshi from Birmingham Asian LGBT and Simon Wincup, who is the Vice Chair of West Midlands Police LGBT Network. Kakan, would you like to introduce yourself and let us know a bit more about what you do? Uh, well, my, my name's Kakan, obviously, and I run a South Asian social support group called um, Birmingham South Asians LGBT Finding a Voice, otherwise known as Finding a Voice, which has been running for about five years now here in Birmingham, in the heart of Birmingham at the LGBT Centre. Um, and what I try to do is encourage and empower young South Asians out there, well, not necessarily young, but any generation who identify as LGBT or are questioning their, their sexual orientation and gender identity and trying to help them to maybe if they wanted to reconcile it with their faith or not. Um, so I try to sort of be the perfect role model for them. Brilliant. And Simon? Yeah, so I'm Simon Winkup. I'm the Vice Chair of uh, the LGBT Network within West Midlands Police. So I'm there as a staff support mechanism for LGBT staff and also to give advice to the police service on how we interact with LGBT community, which has been quite relevant in recent months in Birmingham. Yeah. Okay. As we know, leading communities is all about, you know, our communities and our community leaders and giving them the information, access to information, to practical skills and knowledge. So with that, one of the questions that we're going to start off with is how did you get people to start caring about LGBTQ issues that you've campaigned on? An issue is about taking people on the journey sometimes, isn't it, really? And whilst um, I uh, want to bring people on the um, understanding of the LGBTQ issues that exist within our within our communities and, uh, and our lives uh, was about bringing an understanding that actually it's uh, about equality uh, and treating everybody in an equal manner uh, and that actually accepting people for whatever they are, whether that be faith, gender or, or sexual orientation, etc. Um, so for me, it was about initially starting that narrative uh, about, you know, bringing people together. Uh, and then starting to then discuss the L the challenges within the LGBT community in terms of uh, being accepted uh, as as uh, as a uh, strand of communities, and also um, about just understanding of some of the issues that still exist within the LGBT community. So I think a lot of people um, will perceive that actually, you know, we have, for example, Birmingham Pride, and you see a massive outpouring of uh, people into the streets, etc. But actually, there is still a, a, a lack of acceptance for LGBT communities. And, you know, we, we must never forget why events like Pride, etc. And the number of events that have gone before us exist. So uh, that, was, that was sort of my basis for um, how I got people to start caring about LGBT issues. So I think if sometimes if I can demonstrate that actually this isn't... I want to raise the issues from my particular strand of, of uh, diverse communities... Um, but actually, let's firstly just start with the baseline of this is about bringing everybody together and trying to, to bring unity and cohesion. Okay. Yeah. I think I think for me, it's all about being your, more so being your authentic self more than anything, especially in the, the workplace. I mean, for me, my coming out journey, even though I, I met my partner, I came out to my family, it was about coming out at work as well and trying to make myself feel comfortable and confident in who I am and trying to express myself with my peers. Because initially when I started so many years back, um, a, lot, a lot of people would say, you know, 
have you got a partner? Are you married? Where are your children? So they took on these assumptions and they tried to fit me into these stereotypical roles because I'm a brown Asian male um, of a certain age as well. So they expected me that I'd been married at a certain point. And so it took a lot of confidence from my side to actually express that I have a partner and he happens to be male. So that was the first step. And then in the early years of working with um, vulnerable adults and having the confidence to speak to people about it, I thought, you know what, I don't want to be shying away from this anymore because everyone's talking about their husbands and wives and family. And then I need to talk more openly about my partner. And my partner is a very private individual anyway. But I, somebody actually said, you keep referring to your partner. Let's give him a name. Who is he? What does he do? What does he look like? Um, and that gave me the confidence because it was somebody expressing themselves and showing interest in my journey and my life that it gave me that confidence to say, you know what, let's make it much more normal or usualize the conversation. So what I've done in the last 10, 15 years, I try and talk about my partner as much as possible because what I'm trying to do is reduce the stigma and discrimination around being LGBT and make it much more usual conversation so that in another 10 or 20 years, when people are talking about their families, being part of the LGBT life is going to be normalized or usualized within conversations in the workplace, social circles and elsewhere anyway. So I think that was part of it for me. And then the other side was um, thinking as a brown Asian guy, gay guy in the city, um, what is there for people like me? And, you know, there isn't anything until I decided to set up this social support group because I thought, you know, London and Manchester, in particular London, gets all the information, gets all the events, etc. And we have nothing. Yes, I applaud the fact that we have the Birmingham LGBT Centre, but what else do we have apart from Pride and the gay bars and yeah. villages? And then we want a sober, safe space as well. So I created this um, group, Finding a Voice, um, and enabling people to access a safe space where they can just be themselves and learn that there are other people who are sharing similar stories like themselves, um, hopefully getting the word out there as well. I think that's relevant as well, you know, so frequently I've been referred to as a senior gay leader within West Midlands Police. No, I'm a senior leader within West Midlands yeah. Police. Yeah. The fact that I'm gay is, is neither here like, nor there. Yeah. And they don't say that in, a, in an offensive type of way, but I get referred to as a senior gay leader. And, you know, the fact that I'm gay is, is neither here nor there. But like you say, it's about bringing that normality around acceptance of, you know, just because we're talking about two males or two women or, or whatever that it doesn't matter what the relationship setup is. I'm a senior leader within West Midlands Police. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's a an element of, as you, I'm basically repeating what you're saying. It Normality. doesn't need to be. Yes, that's it. So when you talk about, so we're talking about, you know, the caring around the LGBT issues. But in terms of campaign wise, so you've you've stated that you know you created a support group, and campaigns come in a number of formats, don't they? So is there any kind of how did your campaign start and what issues did you have? Did you have any issues or what was the discrimination that you were trying um, to kind of... I think for me, when starting Finding a Voice what, five years ago, it was quite difficult trying to think out, let's, let me think about the space that I needed first and foremost. And then I just thought, you know, if I get one person through the door, it's a bonus. But I happened to get seven people through the door, which I now refer to as the Magnificent Seven. <laughs> um, you know, but it was it was really sort of eye-opening because we all kind of shared the similar narrative in that we were the, we felt that we were the only brown person in that white space. You know, so the fact that we came together and shared experiences, we we found commonality and similarities as well as differences. But the first, the, the other thing that comes through is the fact that how people are trying to reconcile sexual orientation and gender identity with their faith. And now a lot of people who say that they um, 
openly gay, they would maybe, they might say that they're spiritual, like myself, I refer to myself as a spiritual Muslim, or they're some people who um, step away from their religion completely. But at the same time, what I try to do is that if somebody wants to hold on to their faith, whether they're Christian, Sikh, and what have you, I try to say that you can navigate through this because I believe that gives them some confidence and reassurances as well. And we, we shouldn't be afraid to say you've got to be ex-Muslim or you've got to be a certain way. Yeah. What I'm saying and trying to encourage is, yeah, I used to advocate a lot about coming out, but what I say now is about just be yourself, enjoy your life and be who you want to be within the whilst you're here on this earth. And I think um, sharing stories, I write articles about homophobia within the South Asian community and Islamophobia in the mainstream. Um, sharing stories and articles like that has helped as well. Um, people write to me and contact me and say how I inspire them. But at the same time, having a social support group, it's good, but it's not enough for me personally. So I've become a, a Stonewall LGBT school role model, diversity role model. Um, and I try to sort of encourage people to embrace themselves more than anything. So my campaign, it's not on a grand scale, yeah. but it's more on a one-to-one -one more than anything. Okay, so it's making those connections with people and you know, obviously you're saying your stories, it's relatable. So it's an ongoing yeah. campaign, it's like to a degree, you yeah. haven't basically gone, right, okay, this is what I want to shout about because it's normality to you, it's, you know. like Yeah, I, th I think it's more about people embracing themselves more than anything. And, yeah. you know, um, the, the reach of, um, I have some several Facebook uh, LGBT groups as well that we've set up. Um, you've got Finding a Voice, British Asian LGBTI, and Gay Muslims United, which again is a global Facebook page. And it's having people sort of being able to connect with it. And, you know, it does become quite frustrating because I want people to comment and share. Mm. But at the same time, there are silent voices and it's the silent voices that I want to reach out to because yeah. currently, um, especially in the last few months, if not years, um, people are still talking about racism within the NH uh, within the NHS, <laughs> within the LGBT <laughs> community as well. Um, which we need to tackle head on more than anything. And people are raising their voices now more so than yeah. ever before. Good. What do you think about that, Simon? Yeah, so for me, it was... Uh, so uh, the uh, the network, which is our LGBT network, so that was set up in response to um, media reporting that occurred late 90s, early noughties, um, around um, a uh, couple of individuals that worked for West Midlands Police who... who uh, who got a civil partnership basically and the response that fell out of that and then how the LGBT community internally within West Midlands police were feeling about how the force were probably dealing, not dealing with that at the time. Um, so I think for me, the uh, campaigning bit for me is about, um, you know, the, unfortunately for the police, we, we get labelled a lot, uh, you know, so the institutional racism car, uh, card comes out quite a lot. But it's not just institutional racism. There are elements over the years of, you know, so I am very fortunate that I've never experienced homophobia in the police service. Um, if I have, it's passed me by. <laughs> um, but um, I know plenty of people that have experienced homophobia in, in police. And I think it's about uh, just supporting those sort of individuals that are going through that sort of, um, of experience. Um, but also starting to work along with you know all our other diverse communities within that work for the police in uh, for the police service is to again it comes back to the normality but it is normal that you are going to have asian black people um you know lgbt communities disabled people faith communities working in an organization that's because we we're, we're attracting individuals from the communities that we serve so it's about um 
raising awareness of the issues that impact on the LGBT community. So for me at the minute with uh, within West Midlands Police, um, uh, and I say at the minute, for some time there has been a drive that we must increase representation uh, from the communities that we serve. Um, now within the West Midlands, obviously we have a, a very diverse community uh, from which we can feed from. Um, but for me, it's making sure that us as an organisation are raising that awareness that actually that includes the LGBT community as well. Um, and I, th I think that's really critical that we make sure that, you know, we are, we're not just representative in one or two strands, but actually we're representative in all strands of, of the communities that we serve. Because otherwise, as a police service, we won't be able to understand and engage with our communities if we aren't representative. I think, sorry, just to add on to that, I think as well with the police, it's important that you show yourselves as being allies to the LGBT community more Absolutely. than anything, yeah. especially in these uh, current climate being what it is with the protests outside primary school gates. Yeah. I think it's really important that the LGBT community, whether they're white or brown or black, yeah. that they know that they've got allies with the police they because we, the police, we know, it still is being stigmatised yeah. from... And, and I, think, I think that was really key. So um, <clears throat> in this year's Pride, Birmingham Pride Parade in particular... So, uh, you know, myself and, and my fellow committee that I work with, we were really key that this year more than ever, we had to show that there is a unity with, with not just the LGBT community, but with all communities. So um, in previous years, our turnout at Pride in the parade in particular hasn't been the greatest in number. Uh, but this year, you know, we, we got over 150 people out. So that includes... Um, not just our serving police officers and police staff, but our cadets, our street watch, uh, because actually they're all individuals that represent West Midlands police in some way, shape or form, you know, and they were from BAME communities, they were from uh, LGBT, uh, disability faith groups, etc. But bringing out that shows a, a unity from the police with all the communities, do you know what I mean? And I think that was, this year was more important than ever for us that we show that, that unity with our community. So just for the purpose of uh, the listeners, can you just, um, you've mentioned the schools, can you just give us a back, background of the, what's happening in Birmingham at the moment in terms of the process? Well, currently in Birmingham, we have two schools, uh, primary schools, which had um, programmes which looked at LGBT inclusion, um, having representation of um, two, maybe that some children have two mums or maybe they have two dads. And this has caused an upset within the Muslim community, predominantly Muslim community, shall I say, um, here in Birmingham. And so there's been ongoing protests for the last um, 10 months on and off. Um, currently, the, one of the protest leaders and his cohorts are going through an injunction. But we're looking at LGBT inclusivity within the primary school. And what we're saying is that, um, from the LGBT perspective, is that having representation within school books is a good start because it reduces stigma and prejudice and discrimination and also looks at ways to tackle bullying and that's all we're asking for is just a level of acceptance within the primary school so that we can stop bullying and look at more acceptance than anything else. So you've been quite involved in that, haven't you? And I, I think yeah. like your, what you, it's like, again, your story and the information that you're putting out there uh, within that arena and within the Birmingham Asian um, LGBT, uh, how do you keep people to, or how do you stop people from losing interest and how do you keep them caring about the issues? I think for me personally, obviously, social media is a great tool if you use it in the right way. It can be really positive. So I use social media as well. And also, um, I try to talk to people, um, like I say, in my workplace and elsewhere as well, people who appear to be um, 
anti-LGBT or maybe anti-LGBT inclusive education. And then I ask people to actually address this by asking them what do they understand what's being taught within the schools. Um, it's really unfortunate that a lot of people are gaining misinformation through the media as well, mm. or maybe some other word of mouth um, hearsay. And, and it's trying to tackle that head on is quite challenging in itself. And, you know, I really want to bring it down to the facts and the resources. And I ask people, you know, have they read the books or did they know anything about the books? Because you can get them, um, well, being read on YouTube, for example. So what I do is um, to keep people engaged is I would constantly share the link of several of the stories yeah. which are at the heart of this controversy, if you want to call it that. Um, you know, like My Princess Boy um, and Tango Makes Three. Now, My Princess Boy... Um, those who are anti-LGBT or appear to be anti-LGBT are saying that this is um, promoting transgenderism or transgender ideology. What the hell is that for a start? Um, but I've read the book as well and I've read the background to the author of the book um, and nowhere does she say that her child wants to transition at all because who's to say that in a few years' time when the child is a bit older that the person might be heterosexual? We don't know. But she's saying that... She, what she's trying to express in that story is that every child is different and no matter how hard she tried to have her little boy dress up in what we would deem stereotypical male clothing, it wasn't for that child and she just wanted him to be happy and that to her as a mother was the utmost importance. Um, and the other one is A Tango Makes Three, which is about two male penguins who, adopt, who appear to adopt a, an egg, um, a chickling um, and again, they're saying this is promoting homosexuality, which it isn't, you know, it's part of nature and this is what happens. So um, trying to tackle it, you know, and I keep saying these are primary school kids looking at children's books. And I cannot believe that 10 months down the line, um, people are still protesting about it. I know they keep saying it goes against their um, religious moral values, but at the same time, it's about navigating those moral compasses in modern times. Yeah. I mean, you talk about social media and the thing is, I think with social media, it's very easy for the chaos to just snowball, especially with misinformation. So sharing the links to this information, is you, you say you believe is the good start to kind of ensure that people are informed, make a, yeah. an informed personal decision as well, yeah. based on what is being shared. What do you think, Simon? Yeah. So I, I do think social media um, has many benefits. Uh, but it also has a, a lot of bad benefits, you know, and within the police service, we, we see that can uh, quite easily stir up community sentiment quite quickly mm. um, on both sides of the, of, of the coin. I think um, that I, I, I applaud what you do in terms of sharing, you know, that narrative of actually, well, it's not a narrative, is it? But sharing the, this is what's actually being taught in the schools because that is an element of, uh, giving that true reflection of, of, of what is actually going on rather than misinformation. Here's the, here's the pure evidence in front of you. I think it, it's a difficult one, uh, really, because, you know, how quick a community sentiment can be stirred up, and I think we, we have seen it in, in this particular case and, and in a number of other cases nationally. Um, the social media is, is, is really one of our biggest challenges in mm. terms of keeping um, unity. I think the other thing, you know, which uh, which is what I try to pull out of it, and I go back to what I said at the start when we, uh, you know, was, uh, how do you get people to start caring about LGBT issues? It's about actually, this this is a current situation in time, uh, and how long that plays out for, uh, and and continues to, to have challenges or positives around it is 
is sort of a little of a bit of an unknown. But actually, this is all about just bringing um, acceptance for individuals from whatever walk of life you're from. Mm. So you know, if you if you think back to um, you know, so I, I talk frequently with um, older relatives of mine um, who will say, you know, about individuals with disabilities, for example. And they will say, oh, years ago, you would never see those kind of people in the community, but now you do. And I think, it, you know, I, and I use that as a comparison of how we've moved along a society. Absolutely. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so we don't hide people away because they have a disability, in, as families would have done many years ago. Now we bring them out, you know, and they're included in society and, and we make the, the adjustments required. And that, for me, is the key message about accepting people for who they are. Um, and it is difficult because there is always going to be views in communities, you know, whichever walk of life, which won't accept certain things um, for a variety of reasons. I think I think one of the, the most strongest challenges that I face is about people who identify as LGBT and they have faith or religion as well. Yeah. That's in the current, not necessarily in the current climate, but all my life, from my own personal experience and talking to others as well, it's about how do you tackle, you know, that narrative that being LGBT is a sin or forbidden, you know, whether it's, you know, in, in Islam, we hear the rhetoric of homosexuality is haram, in Christianity and Judaism, you know, there's some ex-Muslims that I know who feel that they have to step away from it. And there's Christians and Jews who have had to step away from their faith. And they don't want to do that because it means that they're segregating themselves either by fault or default from the family and you know they, they they want that link they want that relationship with their their family but they can't have it because they identify as lgbt and i think what we need to do is educate people that you have to what you were saying simon is you have to allow people just to be themselves whether they're part of the disabled or lgbt or maybe they've got the, the both you know there could be a disabled lgbt individual mm. yeah. so we have to be mindful of how people cross the sections of of independence and Sectionality. Um, so uh, uh, I think that's what is the biggest challenge is looking at religion and how and what the religious scriptures say and religious leaders, faith leaders, what they have to say about it. And because they're great influences as well. And we need to sort of um, challenge that, not with protests, but with conversations more than anything. Uh, and I think that's really key in the LGBTQ community because, you know, at the end of the day, anybody from any walk of life can be LGBTQ. We have that. So, you know, I always think LGBTQ is a bit of an overarching strand because actually within the LGBT community, we have BAME, we have disability, we have faith, we have, you know, gender, all that. Sort of. So actually we have a representation of all the communities which are feeling challenges in, in their own right or, or together within the LGBT community. So I think it's like you say, you know, it's about taking that guidance from that relevant challenge that we may have in life, and whether that be faith or whatever, and seeing how does that apply, you know, um, or, or what, what way we can move forward. Um, I, think, I think it's a very difficult one. I think as well in terms of caring for LGBT and raising that particular issue, I mean, me personally, I've spoken to three imams over the years and I've asked them, you know, individually at different times, I've asked them, you know, if a, a person comes along and identifies as LGBT, how do you support them? Do you tell them it's okay to be gay or LGBT? And, you know, their responses have been quite pleasant. They, they've actually said, you know, I would offer them advice, information, guidance. But I said, that's all good and well. You offer them some kind of reassurance, but would you tell them it's okay, okay to be yeah. who you are? That's the trouble that I'm finding is that's where they draw the line. 
because again, it's about, but it will go against the grain, as it were. And I kept saying, but at the end of the day, we are human beings. You know, we should be allowed to be living our lives however we want. Yeah, I, th I think it's key also that leaders like ourselves within within the community are um, supportive of you know. So, like like I was saying earlier, with our Pride Parade presence from West Midlands Police, you know, we made sure that we. We, we were demonstrating representation across all our our protective characteristic strands in support of the LGBT event. Yeah. You know, as that actually, that is that key message about, you know, as a police service, we can't show fear or favour to anybody. We have to be an impartial police service. Um, and I think by doing what we did at Birmingham Pride was a, a, a symbolic, uh, a very positive symbolic gesture of look, we are we're here. We're out with the LGBT community. We have our own LGBT uh, employees and colleagues, but we're also here with representatives from other protected characteristic strands, etc., or other communities. And we're coming out in unity to show that we are supportive of our LGBT employees, our LGBT community, and we're engaging. And I think that should be the same whether we're talking Black History Month or, or, or whatever, you know, etc. That's the sort of show we should we should bring to to just send that unity message. Yeah, that's definitely interesting points from both of you. Like from what I've got from what you've both been saying is that it's important to build connections and partnerships essentially with different organisations as well who will be able to help you represent and, you know, say the messages that you want to, but also in a uniformed way, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just kind of, yeah, building that community, but making it wider. So if you're an individual community leader or community organisation, you need to get out, get out there a bit more and talk to I, everybody I'm, else. I'm really <laughs> conscious I do not represent every element of the LGBT yeah. community, nor do I profess to. But what I can do is I can allow my organisation access into the right people and the right parts of the community that will help us understand how to deal with the communities and that sort of thing. And whether that be on an LGBT issue or, you know, an LGBT... So actually, only a couple of years ago, I, I did support a couple of staff who um, were LGBT and from faith as well. Uh, I, I totally admit I did not know how to deal with the faith issue. But what I did do is I then found individuals that could help them deal yeah. with coming to terms with the faith issue and with being LGBT as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the key. We're, we're coordinators, aren't we? We, yeah. we? we push a message out of this is what unity should be and that sort of thing. And that's how we lead and that's how we show we're caring and that's how we keep people interested in what we're talking about. But moreover, we are coordinators of, okay, I don't know everything, you know, I know about being a gay male. I don't know what it feels like to be a lesbian. I really don't know what it feels like to be transgender. But what I can do is I can introduce to and I can ingratiate myself as well with those strands of communities to also build my understanding. So I will never completely understand what it feels like to go, you know, through the, the transition process, etc., cetera, or, or what you feel like as a child and that sort of thing, you know, in that hidden body. But what I can do is I can appreciate it through my own learning, but then also introduce people who may need introducing or gain knowledge from people that can help me build that unified community. And I think it's really important that we do have representation in all walks of life, whether it's the police force, the NHS, as I mentioned earlier, or anywhere else as well, because, you know, as I, 
you know, you look at Birmingham and see what it has to offer, compare it to London or Manchester. Um, you know, London is at the forefront of LGBT scene, whereas unfortunately in Birmingham and maybe it is the media outlets in here in the city as well, um, we do need to look at more representation and diversify the narrative in terms of billboards, uh, advertising, mm -hmm. stories that are being shared because constantly it tends to be cisgendered white males as well, which dominates the whole LGBT scene. You know, if we look at South Asian lesbians, for example, where are they? What what are they doing? Why are we not hearing their stories? Um, you know, are there any in the, in the police force? We, me personally and professionally, I would like to know what's going on in terms of ratios, in terms of staffing levels as well. Absolutely. And, and resources, you know, and how do you support the individual, particularly those from um, South Asian cultures as well, female who identifies lesbian, bisexual or trans? How are they being supported or are they being shunned or discriminated against? And we need to be looking at those issues as well. And we need to look at how the LGBT itself navigates between the white narratives and the black and bay narratives as well. And how do we come together on this? Because the other thing that I want to ask you, Simon, is um, I'm digressing a little bit, plain devil's advocate, is there's been a lot of talk about um, whether or not the police should have a presence at Pride events okay. and a lot of people are saying they shouldn't be there because historically speaking the They're LGBT community has always been against the police or police have been against them <clears throat> so you know as a gay man yourself do you feel that the police should be there and if so why and if not absolutely I think the police should be there and I know I would say that working for the police but I absolutely do believe we should be there because again this comes down to building trust and confidence within those communities and um and it's not just about building trust and confidence. So, you know, I, I, I will so I will give you an example of a few years ago, I was working Pride um, on the mobile police station at Pride. And uh, three straight colleagues who uh, work for West Midlands Police, they were policing the events, so, you know, doing the, the, the walkthrough and the security piece. How they uh, were received by the LGBT community and just the general attendees at Birmingham Pride was fantastic, um, you know, and uh, likewise, their uh, interaction with the community was very party atmosphere, all that sort of stuff. What I found interesting was then a few days later when I was meeting up socially with friends, they were talking about um, how they had been engaging with three police officers that had been walking around and they found it really refreshing that there was actually um, engagement and we weren't just walking around in a sterile way mm -hmm. of, you know, What's that bag there? Why are you there? And all that sort of stuff and what crime you're committing. Yeah, obviously we're there. We are there for a crime and disorder protection point of view. That's our duty as, as a police service. But that engagement. And so now going forward, what we've done is every brief, every year for Pride, the briefing that we give to police officers is don't walk around sterile, engage with the communities, have a laugh, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I find it interesting. And it may just be people are saying this to me because they know I work for the police. But actually, you do get that feedback of we felt engaged by the police. I appreciate, however, that in the past, you know, when we look back at things like Stonewall many, many years ago in, in New York and nationally, uh, internationally, the way the police service responds to the LGBT community, that the police service hasn't always held itself in glory. What I think we have to do is utilising the sort of the knowledge that my network gives in terms of informing how police should engage with the communities, 
but also building that natural ability to engage with any community, but in, in our in our case, the LGBT community, um, is the way we should go forward. And I think, you know, we won't get building trust and confidence. You know, so I find it interesting, actually, and I digress slightly a little bit, sorry, Marianne, right. is that um, if you look at the hate crime figures that come out recently, there is a significant increase in um, reporting of hate crime towards the LGBT community and transgender community. Transgender, off the top of my head, was something over 30% increase in transgender. My first reaction to that is, oh, my God, that's really bad. because. But then there's a little bit of me that thinks, is some of it down to the fact that communities are now starting to feel, and this is a question I pose, I, I don't have the answer. Is it, a, is it a piece that communities are starting to feel a little bit more trusting of the police that they will have some sort of response from reporting the hate crime in the first place. One of the biggest issues with hate crime is that it's underreported because people don't have the confidence for a variety of reasons to either that the police will investigate it and deal with it properly or that uh, the police will um, understand the issue that's being brought to them. I can only talk from a couple of examples, and this is from my personal life where I've spoken to people who have been victim of hate crime, and they will say pretty much that they are happy with the level of response that they've had whether that's led to a criminal justice outcome or something like that but the level of service they've had so therefore if that experience continues to be a positive experience that permeates throughout the community doesn't it so i'm concerned that hate crime recording against the lgbt community has gone up but there's also a little bit of me that has a little bit of assurance in the back of my head that actually people are actually now reporting hate crime in the first in the first case so therefore, that's either an expectation that the police will deal with it or an appreciation that the police are dealing with it as well. And I, I think that's key. Again, another thing to build in a resilient community, uh, but also breaking down those barriers of the past that we have to put behind us. It's difficult to put behind because the way the police in the past have dealt with some issues in the LGBT community. But using the support network that they have internally to now engage with the community as well and also to investigate hate crime properly, to give that reassuring message to victims, to make people feel that they are being... And it's not making them feel that they are actually being listened to as a community. Well, Kick, we have spoke... We spoke about this outside the podcast, but um, what is the definition? It's not hate crime that I'm saying, but hate speech, because that's a funny one where people aren't really sure if they can report that or what, what does, what's the so definition? I, I, I won't go into what definitions are because <laughs> I'm no expert when it comes to that part. Uh, but what I do encourage people to do is whether you think it's hate speech or hate crime, or if, if you perceive that there is something targeted against your community, report it. And then what I think I have to say is that then us as an organisation, if we cannot investigate it because it doesn't meet a definition set by the Home Office or, or, or courts, is we have to explain to you in a, clear re, in, a, in a clear, sensible rationale why we can't investigate it, okay? So it is because it might not meet the definition to the letter of hate crime. But let's then also then work as jointly across partnership agencies to address what is being flagged up. So whether if it is a comment that's been made, but actually there isn't enough to prosecute, you know, from a, from a, a 
pure sterile system that is the Crown Prosecution Service and the criminal justice system within the UK. Let's understand how can we address some of that narrative, if it's a speech comment, for example, uh, amongst communities working with our community groups and our partner agencies. Can I pick up on that, Simon? Because you're saying that, you know, you look at, you investigate what is hate crimes or hate speech. But currently, as, as we've spoken already about the protests outside the primary schools, that the LGBT community, majority of us, we do feel that those protests are in particular very, very homophobic. And, you know, I know from talking to individuals, they have reported as a hate crime slash hate speech. And you, you, you talked about having trust and resilience within the community and building up that rapport with the police. But at the same time, if an individual who identifies as part of the LGBT community reports a protest to the police as a hate crime or hate speech, and they don't feel that they're gaining a satisfactory response, that's going to leave them, one, very frustrated, two, ignored, and three, very resentful about the organisation in general. So I know what you're trying to say, and I do understand. I, I think it's, it's, we, we have to be clearer. In, I'm not saying we're not, because I, I, I haven't looked into all those cases. But we need to be clear as an organisation of why we can't pursue an investigation, is all I can say. And I don't mean to attack you, Simon. No, no, you know, no, but, that's fine. But, it's a very it's tricky just, one, I, isn't I think, it? I think, it's, you know, as I said, the last 10 months, it's been quite sort of quite disturbing mm. and, you know, people are very frustrated and angry at the same time. You know, we, we want to look for resolutions and ways forward. But at the same time, if, if on the one side you say report this as a hate crime or a hate speech, let's differentiate the two. But if you want to do that and then you do report it and then the satisfactory responses or unsatisfactory responses, it doesn't help. It doesn't help that... You want to engage with the community at large, but then at the same time, you're pushing them away at the same time. So, you know, if, if unless, unless you come out a, with a, a proper it, statement to say, this is what we can do or we can't do, which I know from my own personal experience, someone has responded to some questions personally, but on a sort of more sort of local or national level, I think people want answers, you know, especially from the LGBT community. They want answers to say, why are the police not responding to this? You know, we're saying categorically it's a homophobic protest, but nothing. Yeah, wow. I mean, it's a tricky one because obviously you're both passionate and there's there's different, obviously there's different um, plants on it. Um, but I've witnessed the protest and I've witnessed the online kind of abuse, as we'll call it, because it is hard. Um, it sounds like there's a bit of a gap you know, that needs to be filled. And obviously community organisations could do that, essentially. I, I don't know, in that kind of, between yourself and the police, and there's something there, but it's just about... I think we have to be innovative in how we address those issues. So if there is, if by the letter of the law, there is not a, an offence occurred, whether we perceive as a community that there has been or there hasn't been, we need to be innovative in how do we then deal with that. Rather, you know, and I think that's the way forward is innovative. So is it about the community meetings like we had above the loft, you know, an explanation of what the response was from police, what the response was from council, you know, mm. and, and how we can move forward. That is a way of building the trust and confidence within the communities. And I think, you know, that that's that's the only thing I can offer really is, um, and I, I offer that from a personal perspective rather than a organisational perspective because I... On this particular issue, I can't talk on behalf of West Midlands Police because I'm not fully cited on it um, in terms of the policing response. Um, but I think, you know, we have to be innovative as, as communities and organisations. You know, the communities also need to reach into the organisations they feel 
may not be given the service, that may be police, it may be council, it may be local MP, etc. And also say, let's have a discussion and let's work out a way forward to... Uh, and I know what you're saying about, you know, those sorts of conversations have occurred. Um, whether they've always given the desired outcome is uh, is... is is another is another matter entirely, but I think that's the way we should move forward. Is just be innovative around that. Okay, well, this kind of first part, I think this part of the discussion leads us nicely onto the next question, which is a bit of a mouthful. Um, but what are the dangers and challenges to the community you care about in modern times, and how will you be leading and asking others to lead through them? So I think the dangers and challenges are, as we've already said, um, social media has a, has a massive impact on communities. Um, and I think for the LGBT community, it does as well. But I, I am I am really truthful and passionate when I say that I think social media can be beneficial sometimes for putting the right message out, but it can also be really bad for stirring up hatred mm. and uh, negative community sentiment. Um, I think that is a uh, challenge for all of us, um, not just for us as a, as a uh, senior member of our community or a significant member of our community. And I think what you have to do is, you know, is amongst yourselves uh, amongst our communities is try to spread that message of tolerance you know of think before you type and think before you click sometimes you know because as we well know you know um i think i recently heard it described as when keyboard warriors get going uh, and, and it's true you know in the heat yeah. of battle when you're really raging about something people will just write stuff on social media and that gets shared within seconds um, and that can really stir up community sentiment. Uh, and I think that is a real challenge for all of us. I think the other thing we have uh, in terms of a danger and challenge to our community, uh, and I think you mentioned it earlier, is uh, within our own internal community is the challenges of uh, acceptance of uh, the race issue. Uh, that, I think, is a, is a significant issue within the LGBT community. Um, and an acceptance of all our, as I said earlier, you know, I sort of see LGBTQ as an overarching mm. uh, and then with all the separate strands falling off it uh, or, or underpinning it, uh, not falling off it, that's, uh, but, you know, the underpinning. Um, and I think actually it's how do we accept all that rather than, like we say, you know, and uh, I think the other thing for the LGBT community is, you know, we frequently put it down to the social scene. So yep. for, for us, that's her street. Yeah. Um, but actually, there's a lot more to being LGBTQ than going to the village on a Friday or Saturday night. Okay, so uh, and I think that's where our actually the Birmingham LGBT Centre is doing some fantastic work in that sphere in terms of putting on events. You know, so um, like art events at the Mac and that sort of stuff. It's about our constant social interaction and actually just going back to what uh, Khan said earlier, leading a normal life. You know, um, but actually we tailor some some events specifically towards towards our community. I think an acceptance in our community, though, that L being LGBTQ is not just straight it, straight white males. It's not just, <laughs> if it's, it's not straight white males, it's a gay white man. You know yeah. what I mean? It is about uh, BAME. It is about all the various strands, etc. And I think for me as well, it is, first of all, I don't really like the word tolerance more than anything. I'd much prefer, when we talk about LGBT, more about acceptance yeah. and looking at all the strands as well. And the acronym, how long it is, it's about, um, you know, currently we know that within the LGBT community, there's um, the LGBT alliance has just recently formed, um, sort of taking away the trans 
And I think what we need to be mindful of is that as LGBT in general, that we're not erasing other individuals or other parts of our community. And when I say our community, I'm solely focusing on LGBT, no matter how you identify. That, you know, we've already had our own sort of personal, if not local and national, uh, global persecutions and oppressions anyway. So when we're looking at sort of persecution and discrimination and prejudices, we have to be mindful that we don't erase other people who come under that banner, you know. And to me, I find it quite upsetting that LGBT alliance, LGB alliance have been formed. That's one thing that I have to focus on and thinking why, how, what the hell happened here. Um, and then the other side to that is that within our acronym as well, we do have BAME as well, or people of colour, as some people like to be known now as well. And about how we navigate through that and how we diversify the narrative. And yeah, we do have Friday, Saturday nights at Her Street for a lot of people. And we do have the LGBT centre. It's not just about but, but it's there's more than that. And we've got to find ways to offer safe spaces, sober spaces and sober events where people who are LGBT with a faith and a religion as well, that they can access as well. So they don't feel intimidated or guilt or shame. That's one thing. That's well, it's a major factor for a lot of people. Um, from BAME communities. Uh, uh, and, and, and the other side to that as well, in terms of social media, I agree completely about um, social media has been a great influence in our society, but at the same time, people use it to damage other individuals as well. You know, hateful words, think before you type. I really like that phrase. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, that. It's, it's about <laughs> such a, you know, where, where the individual is coming from, you know, and I think if we're just allowed to express ourselves however we want to, um, you know, and we just have to be mindful of how we navigate it through the legal frameworks as citizens of, of the world as well. I think that's a big thing in itself. But I think I also think that moving forward, um, you know, diversify the narrative, whether it's straight or not. Diversify the narrative means invite people in that you think can be great influencers, can inspire others. Because, you know, when I was younger, I was looking for a brown, gay, Asian role model. There wasn't one. Now I'm older, there really isn't one except me. <laughs> you know, yeah. So it's quite strange. But I think it's about sort of having representation from all walks of life, from all ages and stages as well, to say that, you know, there are people like this. They have got great stories to share. They've got sad stories and happy stories to share as well. You need to be looking at that as well, you know, so we can say this makes up a diverse <clears throat> community. This is what diversity means. Absolutely. And I think you're right there about... It's not just about Friday, Saturday night. It's not just about, you know, the, the social. But, you know, so I've got friends that are uh, members of a group called Outdoor Lads. And Outdoor Lads is a, uh, as it says on the tin, outdoor walking, <laughs> you know, walking, camping, all that sort of stuff. So embracing outdoor life, really. Uh, and that, you know, I know individuals that go to that. And there is a, when, when you look at, you know, photos and that sort of thing, there is wide representation that attend that group. And it's not about the fact that they're gay and it's it's not about going camping and getting drunk and all that sort of stuff. It's about living life to the full as a group amongst people that understand a an element or a number of the challenges that we're all facing within that group. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and I think a group like Outdoor Lads and all the other support networks that, that, that exist and activity groups, uh, like you say, are really key to uh, not just making the LGBT world just about Her Street, Canal Street, or, uh, you know, uh, Soho, you know, in, in London. It's not just about that. It's about living life.
But again, you have to look at how do people, especially from BAME backgrounds, and in particular women as well, how do they access these activities and events? And I think, again, like you were saying about being much more innovative and creative to look at, you know, what can we offer, especially women, you know, bisexual, lesbian, trans women or men for that matter, give them that space as well. Because, you know, outdoor lads, as you said, it, it is what it is. But then, you know, some people, for whatever reasons, they can't access sport events culturally or whatever. Um, and they can't access certain things because of their mindful of their religion as well. Yeah. And they want to hold on to that. So again, how do we navigate that? And how do we bring people in? And I think that's one of the challenges that we have to consider. How do we, how do we reach out to the, the most marginalized of the marginalized, if that mm, makes sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, because we, as I said, we want to be much as, as inclusive as possible and show that we are and demonstrate that we are accepting of others, no matter how you identify. And again, it's about, that. It's difficult, it, it, you know. It's it is difficult being L LGBT, you know, because it's not a choice. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's it's something. However much you want to try and block it out at whatever age, yeah, it's the way you are, um, and then you have to reconcile it with whether it be faith or, or, or other aspects of life. It's always going to be there. It ain't going to leave you, <laughs> you know. I'm going to be devil's advocate at the moment and just ask about you know the acronym and. People can get a bit confused about what parts of it stand for. And then obviously we go into the strands and it goes further and deeper. Um, and we're talking about possibly appealing to certain strands, as we've said. Uh, but sometimes the labels actually make it difficult for other people to understand what is going on. They've I, both started smiling in a I way have, that I'm not I, sure we could be here for hours. I have to say, <laughs> I, I lose track of what letters we keep adding sometimes. <laughs> I think and I, I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but it, 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 you know, I think, yeah, it's a difficult one. Um, yeah, because I think the last count, um, there was 73 different gender sexual orientations. Yeah. No, right. that's looking across the board and looking at words like demisexual and pansexual and others as well. Yeah. And, you know, a couple of years ago, I, not in my naivety, but I was playing devil's, devil's advocate on social media, as it happens. I said, you know, the, the acronym be being... Before you talk. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the acronym being what it is, you know, you know, is it becoming quite... Is the LGBTIQ plus community becoming quite elitist? Because unless you're part of that community, you are not going to understand what it means. And even my other half, bless him, you know, he's 70 years old and he, he can't keep up either. And he's, he identifies as a gay man, but he's like, when I say a certain words like I, Q and A, A, and he thinks, what on earth does that mean? You know, so we have to be mindful of that I th as I well. Think it, I think it's really challenging. So, you know, you look at some of the high profile media celebrities that are gay or, yeah. or lesbian or bisexual or whatever. Even they are starting to, and I know part of it is them showing up, you know, for the, get the viewing numbers up sometimes, but even they make jokes of it, of, you know, LGBT blah 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 yeah. you know things like that so it's confusing and i think you're right uh, and that's the first time i've actually thought about uh, that in the way you've just said it is is it actually making our community look elitist yeah and, you know because it, you you know when i was younger it was either you were that the umbrella term was gay and that was it yeah you know, nothing and then it was al was tagged to it and then because of the feminist slash lesbian movement they wanted it at the forefront because they were a subculture so you had al g and then B, because it looked at bi erasure, and then trans was added. And now. Q's been added. IQ, yeah. it has to be IQ. Oh, it's IQ. It's okay. LGBTI, meaning I is the intersex. Right. Q is queer or questioning. 
Then you got two S, which means two spirited. A is asexual. A again, a gender. Um, now there's talk about P being added, which means pansexual. Yeah. And then K, which those who are kinky, they want to be added to that as well. And then it just goes on. It's an alphabet well. of uh, sexuality. My personal phrase I've used is I like to think of the A to Z of the sexual spectrum. That's yeah. one. Yeah. But in the um, psychological psychiatry world, they've started using the acronym GSD, which I quite like. I favour that, which stands for... Um, Gender and sexual diversity. Right, okay. It's Which, clearer, to the point, to isn't the it? To the point, yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, as I said, this, at the last count, according to Wikipedia anyway, there was 73 different identities. But I keep saying, you know, if the world is 7 billion individuals, that's 7 billion identities. You can't put that on an acronym, can you really? No, it's true. So, um, you know, I, I, it's just trying to find a way. And, you know, some... People, the younger generation, are beginning to use the word queer. They're reclaiming that. Me, personally, I find it still offensive. Yeah. Mm. But at the same time, if that's what the younger generation want to identify as, then that's fine. And for those who come from BAME, LGBT backgrounds, it's QTPOC. So it's queer and trans people of colour. Right, okay. Wow. I've learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's quite difficult trying to keep up with it myself, you know, because yeah. I, I think I need to keep... You know, at my age, I need to figure out what's going on myself. And I think I think it's quite hard for people who are trying to be respectful of this. And sometimes people um, from the LGBT communities and the media play a really bad arm in this as well. Um, it can they can basically put a negative spin on it about LGBT individuals reacting badly to being called miss. And this goes into the pronouns and all that kind of stuff. So how how do individuals in the community manage that if they want to be able to have an open conversation? I think if in, in if in depth, just ask. You yeah. know, we we know now. You know, there's a lot of people who are coming through identifying as non-binary, aren't they? So and their pronouns will be they or them. Mm. Um, and it's just like any question that you'd ask an individual. You know, if you want to know, just ask. Yeah. There's yeah. there's no harm in asking. And it's up to me or the the individuals responding if they want to be offended or not, you know. Um, yeah. I'm quite open in how I respond to people anyway. But there are other people who are quite sort of um, guarded or reserved in that. But I think there's no harm in asking that particular question. No, absolutely. Yeah. I think just uh, I've got a friend called uh, Karen who I, who I take out frequently with me when I go out socialising and she's uh, never scared to ask whether, it, <laughs> you know, for an explanation of something. So I always say, be Karen and uh, <laughs> just ask. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could have that as a campaign. <laughs> just ask. Be Karen. I'll get Hashtag it, be Karen. We'll, we'll get a photograph, yeah. right? <laughs> I think also we have to be mindful as well. Like, you know, we, like me, I identify as a, gay, as a gay man. Not that particularly like labels, but then there's some individuals who don't identify as any part of that acronym. You know, there yeah. are men who have sex with men and women who have sex with women but they don't identify specifically as being gay or bisexual or anything. It's a fluidity so, kind of thing. Right? Yeah, there's that yeah. as well. Yeah, so. yeah. Okay, brilliant. All right, then. Well, thanks ever so much for your input. It's been really interesting. Um, what we do ask our guests, uh, are you reading anything that you would like to share uh, with the listeners at all that you found inspiring recently? I really don't have time to read at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I don't. But I, 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 I do think it is... It, it's not about reading, it's about just thinking about how do we bring unity amongst communities. That, that, and that is always going to be a challenge for individuals, but I think you always think about unity amongst communities. 
Communities amongst communities. Then. No, there is there unity in the community is what I say. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and also, as I've said, think before you type. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, th I think for me, it's not just separating reading or thinking. I think it's a, a bit of both as well. If you want to know, go out and read. And especially if you're coming from um, a faith, religious background in particular, trying to reconcile um, gender identity and sexual orientation, is go out there and read the Quran, the, the Bible, Torah, whatever it is, that you're coming from because it's really unfortunate that a lot of people that I've spoken to over the years, um, they say, oh, you can't be this, that, and other because my mom says or my dad said or it's in the, our religion. But for me, in my own personal coming out, I had to read the, the Quran and the Bible to make sense of it all. And once I grasped what it said, I just thought, you know what, I can be me totally and utterly. So I think it's about researching that information. Um, the, the, pro the current protests highlight the fact that, you know, people are gaining misinformation more than anything. Um, a really good book that is, no pun intended, but it's like the Bible for the Muslim LGBT community. Um, it's called Homosexuality in Islam by Scott Krugel, um, which is the first proper authentic academic book which tackles homosexuality in Islam. It, it is what it says on the tin. Um, I read that and to me, it kind of reaffirmed what I'd already known, but for the younger generations coming through and trying to question it or wanting to know what does it say, I think it's a really good um, book to to go out and read. Oh, brilliant. So if people want to follow you on um, social media, do you want to give out your handles? Oh, I'm everywhere. I'm on Instagram, <laughs> Twitter, Facebook, and it's Kakan Qureshi. And I'm just under WMP LGBT Network. Very simple on Twitter. <laughs> Great. Thanks ever so much for your time. Thank you for listening. To keep up to date with Leading Communities podcast releases and updates, follow us at A4UCIC, at Ideal Directions, and at That's All Media.